This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hey, before we dive into this week's episode, I want to tell you about the new book of poetry by Mike Posner called Teardrops and Balloons. So you may know him as a total washed up pop star with a couple of songs that you frankly don't even like. But this book will come as a shock to you. I've read pieces of it and it's unbelievable. He takes on the topics of fame, God, masturbation, horses, death, dating, Bruno Mars, plane crashes, and chewing gum. Basically, no stone is left unturned. It's available March 17th at Amazon and also MikePosner.com. Trust me, this is a really, really fun read from a person that you would be like, oh, why is he going to be interesting? Why is this book going to be interesting? Trust me, it is. So dive into it and enjoy. Hello, everybody, and you're listening to 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I'm your host, Ray Arkins. Thank you for joining me this week to listen to some insightful discussions about independent music and the people that are involved in it. Uh, this week is definitely no exception to the rule. Well, h- how about I just like give you an exception to the rule? Like, How about I just uh, interview a random person that uh, doesn't even know what like punk or hardcore is? I, don't, I wonder how that would turn out. <laughs> Actually, it'd probably be pretty terrible because, uh, yeah, uh, we would just talk for like five minutes and then uh, that show would be over. So... But that is not the case. We are talking to Tom May from the Menzingers, and he is in an incredible band. I mean, he the Menzingers are a band that it just I, it makes me so happy that they are growing in popularity and becoming more and more successful because uh, they've just been at it for quite some time, and uh, that's exactly what a touring band does. It's like over time, they're just you know get progressively better musically and get progressively better from a live show perspective and uh, that's exactly where they're at right now and uh, they released a record that came out this uh, I think last month called After the Party I was almost going to say a title of their older records because uh, their older records are just as good but uh, this record holy it is uh, it is unbelievable and so normally I don't try to be as uh, I guess topical on the fact that like oh record came out like I want to release the interview with said person around the same time the record comes out I just typically don't uh, like those sort of uh, record cycle tropes because uh, you know if I'm talking to a person and they've done a million other interviews they have already answered a ton of questions about uh, themselves and everything else so I try to get people at the uh, off times but this one uh, I had to make an exception to the rule so yeah, you should listen to their new record, and uh, yeah, this is this is what's going to happen. You're going to hear Tom speak about his life in and around music, and uh, yeah, we went to some really, really fun and interesting places, and uh, it was a really good hang, but uh, let's get some business pleasantries out of the way, and then uh, we'll dive into the interview. Uh, please, I mentioned this last week, but it would be extremely meaningful for me if you did these two things. So one, if you are listening on Overcast, which is a podcast catcher slash player, please give this episode a star or give all the episode stars because the more and more that happens, the more and more likelihood that this show will be featured in their music section. And uh, frankly, every time I look at that music session, I'm like, oh man, that show's terrible. Oh, that, that shouldn't be in there. It's like, well, what does this have to do with music? So please, if you're listening to it on Overcast, um, it's basically, like I said, just a, another way for you to listen to podcasts if you are interested in like having a more uh, robust experience. So, you know, have a more... Uh, capabilities in regards to listening to the shows at a faster speed and all that sort of stuff. But anyways, uh, I'm not trying to sell that product because, well, frankly, it's free. Um, But anyways, I just would like you to do that. If you listen to it on Overcast, just give it a star. And the second thing I'm going to have you do is uh, take a audience survey. So this, you know, you hear advertisers on the show occasionally, and this is an incredibly important piece of the process because, um, you know, 
if this show is making me uh, even a little bit of money, uh, it is worth it from a advertiser's perspective to be able to be like, hey, I want to reach the audience that listens to that particular show. And frankly, anytime anybody gives me money to advertise their product, this is a win. (laughs) This is a win for podcasting. This is a win for uh, independent music in general because, you know, they're supporting this thing. They're being able to give me the time and the space in order for me to uh, conduct the business that I do. So please, if you would go to podsurvey.com slash words, W-O-R-D-S. I can never spell words easily. W-O-R-D-S. Anyways, podsurvey.com backslash words. There's like 15, 20 questions. Uh, It'll take less than five minutes of your time and you'll be entered to a contest to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Uh, I think it's $100. Yeah, I think it is. But um, please do that because it's just, it's super, super valuable. And I know shows like mine in the past have asked this sort of stuff, but this is a new survey. So please go do that and I will love you forever. Or, well, I already do because you're listening to the show. But um, yeah, if you do that, that's just, it just helps everything out. So please do that. Anyways, let's, let's just dive in the conversation with Tom, right? I've already told you everything I need to. So here is my discussion with Tom and I will speak to you after the episode is over as I usually do. And for those of you that don't stick around for that, you always miss the tease. Well, not the tease. I just basically announce usually who the, the, the next week's guest is. So stick around. You might hear some uh, pertinent and interesting information there. So uh, there you go. And here is Tom. I, I mean, I've been aware of the band and a fan of the band, uh, you know, since you started putting out records on, uh, you know, Red Scare. That's where I kind of, you know, first heard heard of you guys. Uh, awesome. But it, it was one of those things where you guys always kind of fell into, uh, you know, the category of like, yeah, I like you guys. But it wasn't, you know, if someone pressed me, it wasn't one of those things where I'm like, oh, dude, I'm a, I'm a total diehard. Like, dude, I'm a total total zinger head. I just made that up. Yes. I, don't <laughs> uh, I don't think I want to take that from you, but uh, maybe we'll see if it sticks. I hope. I hope Oh, that's terrible. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, but the, uh, but the new record hit me in ways that I was just like, yo, like, it, I feel like it's the, the culmination of everything you guys have been doing. And, uh, and I know a lot of people are saying that about this record and I'm sure you guys have, have felt a lot of the, uh, the praise from that perspective. Um, it, for, from your guys' perspective, is it just awesome to be able to be like, yo, we've been a band for 10 plus years and like people can still catch up to us and be like, hey, this record is unbelievable. And like this far in, you know, really, you should you should be on cruise control, you know, like you should be really. Yeah, <laughs> totally. It's uh, it's been uh, pretty weird. We were really apprehensive, I guess. Not apprehensive. That's definitely not the right word. We were, you know, a little bit nervous. We're like, OK, we have been around for this long. You don't want to do the same exact thing over and over again. We've seen so many bands, and so, some of them are really, you know, great friends of ours and great bands that have a, uh, something that they stick with and kind of just hammer it out each time. And it seems like it becomes like labored, and we'd rather just, uh, you know, kind of just keep having fun with it and listening to weird stuff and, and pushing it that way. But yeah, but being around for ten years is kind of, you know, it's like, what do you do? Where do you go? Like, uh, how, how how can you actually keep people excited? You know? Yeah, totally. It seems like it's working. So, well, and also the the idea that, like I said, I, I think you know this record will get you 
people who you know might might have been like myself where they're just like oh yeah they're you know they're sitting on the fence and they like you guys but they're not like devotees or than the people who are just like oh yeah i i heard this this new menzikers record and i i didn't know they had like you know three full lengths before that and a bunch a bunch of eps and yeah. All that other stuff. <laughs> yeah totally and it's funny on the other side of the fence you get a lot of people that are like man fuck them they uh you know this record's so polished and my favorite record is the one that came out you know when they were 19 and you know, can't relate to anything that they said anymore right. but uh that's that's this, this has been the album that has had the least amount of pushback regarding that at least on social media so right right <laughs> no that's 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 amazing yeah it just feels uh yeah like it, um, gratifying i i presume that's the the emotion that you're probably feeling yeah that's definitely would be if i pick one it's definitely gratifying that's awesome um and so you were you yourself born and raised in Scranton or were you was it kind of the the suburbs of that area or where did you come up? So I was born uh, actually in Philadelphia and lived here for the first couple of years of my life. And then my family moved. My, both my parents are from Scranton. So they moved back to Scranton. I was uh, raised in Scranton. Um, and that me personally, then I moved back down here, I think, eight years ago, maybe nine years ago now. Damn. Yeah, I've been here for a while. Right. Yeah, <laughs> and the uh, I presume that the connection that you had with Philly wasn't so um, you know deep when you moved from Scranton, uh, you know, from Philly to Scranton. Just, I'm sure you didn't have that many impressions of the city at that particular time, did you? No, not even close. I mean, I was like four or five, so I don't, I don't really remember anything. <laughs> right, right. Um, I think I, I claim that I can remember the carpet in one of the houses. Uh, specifically, I just had this like really weird old memory, but that could just be a total, you know, misfiring neuron somewhere that made that up. But um, yeah, so I didn't really have a connection there, except for the fact that uh, everybody really liked the sports teams um, in my family. So it was like kind of like Philly was the place, you know, it's like two and a half hours south. Um, but it was like the closest accessible city that we had relatives and friends in and stuff. So like, like large city. Right, right. Absolutely. And I mean, and most people, uh, in this day and age, always look at Scranton and are like, Oh yeah, that's the, that's the town on the office. And I'm sure the amount of jokes that kind of come from that, uh, are, you know, really, really funny to you guys at this point. Um, (laughs) but it was funny because we first started a tour, people would mention that it was like when the, the show first started to gain popularity. And uh, out of you know, some kind of adolescent punk principle, I was like, I'm not watching that fucking show. It's bullshit. Everybody just makes uh, office jokes. And then I watched the show and realized how funny and great it is. So it was kind of a, you know, it's a good thing that the, the really popular show from the city is actually a funny show. Right. A great show. So right. Definitely a, a positive. No, that's that's a good point because there's, yeah, there's, I like as a, you know, a teenager how you make these really principled stances just based on the fact uh, that, yeah. oh, dude, it's popular. There's no way I'm going to be fucking into it. And then, exactly. <laughs> so simple (laughs) totally and then like yeah five six years later you're you're like secretly watching it and you're like god i was wrong (laughs) yeah i just said if there's one thing you know there's that whole thing if you can go back in time and tell yourself something everybody's like yeah i'd go back and tell myself to work harder and all that stuff i'd definitely go back and tell myself to just stop being an asshole about everything missed out so many bands so many like all kinds of things you know just from that whole principle of uh, that's popular i can't like it you know? right just the yeah. reaction totally. yeah. the put the pushback on mainstream culture like oh that's not for me it's like well yeah maybe it kind of is <laughs> yeah there, there's a reason that it's really popular maybe it's uh you know right <laughs> and so you, uh, what was your family structure like growing up you know like brothers and sisters mom and dad in the house how did it look Oh, yeah. So I had mom and dad in the house, and I had um, two sisters and a brother, so it was a full house all the time. And everybody had a friend over all the time, so, you know, it was like um, 
just very, very chaotic, very, very big thing. I think that was a, a big benefit um, socially because you just kind of had to, you didn't really have that much alone time. You just kind of had to be around people all the time. Right. Uh, so, yeah, it was, it was like that. And I have a big extended family. My parents, uh, on my mom's side, there are six kids. And on my dad's side, there's there was eight. So I have, uh, I think, 30 cousins on one side and then like 17 on another side. So it's just huge family just all over the place all the time in Scranton. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. Does sound yeah. like a, a very uh, revolving door esque of of everything that's happening in the house. Oh yeah, and that was the worst. I had, you know I had cousins that were. There's a bunch of um, female cousins on my dad's side. They'd kill me if they if they heard this, but they are all kind of close to the same age, and I'd fuck their names up all the time. Still fuck them up once in a while. Like yeah, I've known you my entire life. Yeah, wrong name is the worst. <laughs> yeah well it's like that you know if they're like you said similar in age like i could see where you would be like oh yeah there's yeah. There's, there's gina and tina it's like oh i'm sorry yeah and you. they all kind of look a little bit the same you know they have like the same sibling features you know yeah right <laughs> you're like which one are you <laughs> yeah which one are you uh, and so what kind of kid seeing that you you know where you landed on the uh, spectrum of your siblings uh you know what kind of kid did you find yourself being were you the stereotypical like you know middle child that was kind of like uh you know receiving some benefit of the doubt because your older siblings had already uh you know <laughs> acted out and received some punishment or uh or mm. were you kind of experimenting yourself i was the oldest man i had the brunt of the brunt of everything <laughs> oh that's right oh that's right yeah, you yeah. Younger. i'm sorry i didn't put you yeah okay so yeah no you, that's right. yeah, i didn't tell you you were the, yeah, I was the oldest you were the, fr- so. you were the front line you were the one that experienced oh, yeah. everything first <laughs> yeah i experienced everything first i uh i also probably definitely well i mean not probably i, I acted out the most by far out of all of them uh, but they got caught a lot more. They just weren't good. My brother and sister got caught drinking so many times in high school. I never got caught once. Either. But uh, definitely kind of paved the way for, I think that I wasn't allowed to have co-ed sleepovers, you know, ever until you know, I was an adult when I was like, you know, in a relationship with someone. But that was like their whole thing. All those, you know, I just kind of pushed, uh, definitely pushed the limits for all of them. And, you know, it was kind of a total asshole. Right. So, right. <laughs> By the time they got to my younger sister, who's seven years younger than me, they, I think they had given up for sure. Their resistance was worn down. Yeah, they were just done. They were like, oh, you want to do this? Fine. See ya. See you in a couple of days. <laughs> totally. Just let, let us know if something seriously goes wrong. Yeah, exactly. I uh, probably had cell phones. Yeah, I had a cell phone by then anyway, all that. Right. Uh, yeah, they were safe. You, yeah, you, they had no way to get in a hold of you if you were out of the house. <laughs> no. We would uh, call. Uh, we did that thing from the. Remember the. the the immense barrage of collect call company commercials that would come up. Of course. Uh, yeah. And there's one, I guess it wasn't for like 10, 10, 220 or whatever, but it was like, uh, you know, uh, Hey, it's Bob. We had a baby eats boy. And he just like say that message so that when you receive the collect call, they, they'd get the message without having to pay for the call. Right. Um, yeah, we, I, we used to do that. I remember when we would go out, go downtown, there was a bus stop right in front of my house. We used to take the bus, me and my friends to, downtown scranton to the mall and stuff and if we needed to you know check in or something we'd go and make one of those click calls and do that when it works <laughs> that's, that's amazing i know ne- i i never heard of the of that relay message that yeah. you, you're like i don't have a quarter i don't have 35 cents to yeah. pay for this. I don't have cents. Yeah. Yeah. right i'm just gonna i'm gonna hang out at the mall for like five hours and uh you know i'm not, yeah. gonna, I'm not gonna spend a dime nope and call my sister and just say something really fast on an automated thing yeah yeah, that's perfect. 
Um, so, I mean, like you mentioned, you were, uh, you know, a self-proclaimed asshole. Um, where, uh, oh, yeah. how, how is that manifesting itself? Was it one of those things like once you started to enter high school and started to develop your own identity, that's when you were, uh, you know, misbehaving, so to speak? Yeah, yeah, totally. So I was really, I was, uh, um, in the top of the class kind of things. And when I was younger in middle school and, uh, elementary school, I went to like a, a separate, we had this thing called a, a gifted program and did that and did like, you know, a bunch of those uh, different academically focused things. And then in high school, it just something clicked, man. I don't know if it was angst or just, uh, too many hormones at one time. Uh, I mean, I could maybe just punk rock, who knows, but, uh, definitely kind of just turned into hating everything. And I, and I do also gotta say, I was so mean to my, uh, siblings sometimes you know i think back and look at it and i'm like why the fuck did i say that or do that you know it's the worst what there's a funny can you give me yeah i was gonna say can you give me a specific example because i mean usually those things are uh you know they they maybe live on in your head and then your siblings were like oh i don't remember that or vice versa where they're like oh i didn't even think that was a thing and then they're like oh yeah you told me that those green shoes i wore were awful and i can't wear green shoes to this day or whatever Oh, that happens all the time. Somebody else be like, you said that. And I'm like, fuck, did I really say that to you? That's so it's like a I may have said it in passing, but it's such a hurtful thing that stuck with you for what, 20 years. Like Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, there was some, I remember was a, the first time that, um, Eric, our bass player, we played this, uh, at a ska band together in high school. The first time they ever came over to my house, I answered the door with no shirt on and like bloody, uh, scratches across my chest because my sister and I got in a fight. And, uh, and uh, I don't know if they had sisters, but they had like different way of fighting. They would be like, uh, me and my brother, we could like roll around on the ground and punch each other or whatever. But the sisters would be a little bit more diabolical. At least my sisters were a little bit more diabolical in the way that they, they went about uh, getting revenge. And my sister, we got to fight over, I don't know, maybe I, I probably picked up the phone while she was on the internet. Remember that? So you, if you got in a big fight, you'd run over and pick up the extra line and kick them off online. And, and then all chaos hell would uh, You get kicked out of the chat room. Right. Yeah, you get kicked out of the chat room or whatever, Backstreet Boys chat room bullshit or whatever. Right. Um, but yeah, she we got in a fight or something like that, and she's like, all right, well, whatever. And then she just like ran into my room. I was like, what the fuck is she doing in my room? And I went in, she was standing on the other side of the room holding my first electric guitar, and then she just threw it across the room. So uh, yeah, we started chasing around the house, and then she got the nails out and was like going crazy. And yeah, that was the first time he came over my house. So I think he thought that I've lived in some kind of insane like unsafe domestic environment or something like that totally. which i didn't yeah <laughs> totally totally it's like yeah. hey why why are you bleeding like what's what's really happening well, here? <laughs> yeah we're casual why are you sweating and bleeding what's um what could you possibly have been doing yeah it's a casual, casual thursday afternoon <laughs> yeah just like you know six thirty on a thursday so. no big deal <laughs> what, what, what were your parents doing for work uh my dad is an engineer uh, and my mom is a teacher. So she was a school teacher in Philadelphia where my dad worked for a chemical company. He's a chemical engineer. They sold like, um, I think liquid helium and liquid nitrogen and stuff. Um, somewhere around here in one of the, the chemical yards. Sure. And then I moved to Scranton and he worked for a different, couple different engineering firms. And then he actually ended up spending most of my childhood working for a company called Wea Manufacturing, which manufactured a bulk of the compact discs when they came out. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, well, I, I remember. Yeah, I definitely remember working because I worked at record labels for a long time, and so you know, yeah. you'd, you'd obviously source out, uh, 
you know, manufacturing, but I definitely remember. Yeah, we, yeah. Right, right, right. And yeah. I, I, rem- I remember too, I think in, uh, you know, that part of the country, there was, uh, you know, those CD manufacturing plants had to worry about like leaks, you know, as far as like employees stealing CDs and like, you know, whatever the new R. Kelly comes out and someone lifts the CD or whatever. I mean, maybe not specifically your dad's plant or whatever, but I know that was an issue at that time. Yeah, I'm sure. I don't remember that specifically. I do remember one thing that we got, which is cool. When DVDs came out, uh, it was before the internet, so you get, I guess the, the journalism coverage was slow, uh, you know, and, you know, less efficient then. But they, all of the managers and engineers of the work took, they got, uh, like a DVD player that they would loan all the employees. So the employees would get to bring it home and play a DVD that, and we were like, what the fuck? A movie on a CD is just wacky as fuck. But they would bring it in, um, to each place. So we brought it to my parents' house, and then, you know, all those people, we had the entire neighborhood over to watch, I think, Space Jam. And it was like Space Jam, I think it was on a DVD before it was in theaters, maybe? But yeah, it was really interesting to see that technology uh, really, well, you know, quickly and up close. Funny thing, though, my dad was, uh, um, he worked in the mastering department, but from a completely technical and managerial aspect, because he doesn't know anything about uh, you know uh, mastering or the uh, any of the engineering involved or any of that, having to listen to it. But uh-huh. it was kind of funny, and he had a couple of funny stories where he would eventually have to get on the phone with artists that were complaining about the record, and one of them was Van Halen uh, was on was like screaming about the record not sounding right. But his argument was that everything sounded right except for his Sony Discman. He was like, "Yeah, but when I put it in my Discman, it doesn't sound good." And they were like, oh, my God, <laughs> you, you change your headphones or something, man. You know, like, what? Right. Um, You're like, this is, this is like, I mean, I appreciate the fact that the artist is going so far to, uh, like, speak to the person at the manufacturing plant. But, like, yeah, let's, let's, <laughs> let's, be, let's be real about this. Like, you're complaining about something that most people would be like, what are you talking about? Yeah, that was very funny. I remember he was like real stressed about it because he didn't get it. He was like, I don't know what we're gonna do. You know, we can't. Don't, here we are. You know? yeah, I gotta, tell, I gotta tell Van Halen he's wrong. <laughs> yeah, I gotta tell this guy he's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, and so, uh, from from that perspective, I'm sure uh, that once you started to devote your life to music, your parents were just like, "Whoa, Tom! Like, I don't, I don't know about this at all." Oh yeah, this is a giant. This didn't resolve until a couple of years ago. After <laughs> everybody was like, "Oh yeah, I guess you have been making a living doing it for a couple of years, so it's, it's working." You know, right. I mean, I gotta give some more credit. They were supportive to an extent, but when I first, um, you know, uh, started to 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 when it first started to cut into school or plans for college and, and things like that, it was definitely a. Um, annoying i'll say conversations constantly where it was kind of like a push to well you're gonna get this kind of job or that kind of job and yeah right, right. well because both well, of your it, parents professions are very uh, practical you know it's like they, these are things that you go to school for you get a degree for and then you you're set off on a path as opposed to yeah this, absolutely as opposed to this unwieldy thing that you were trying to do totally where there's no blueprint uh, really that you can you know, it's kind of just like fending for and for ourselves to, 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 to take control of it. Right. And especially, well, another thing is my dad grew up uh, really, he did not grow up wealthy. Um, so his self, he's like one of, a very self-made man. And, you know, he's really into um, the fact, and he really did make himself, you know, he like went, put himself through college, got an engineering degree, you know, built a family, all that. So it's like, um, yeah, the, the idea of uh, not, being like, hey, I worked so hard to put you in fucking college, and you're you're not in it. You know, like it's, it's uh, understandably pissed about that um, sure, in sure. retrospect. Sure, sure. So did yeah. you um, 
you know the uh, the uh, like you mentioned the ska band that you played in was that that, that was the Bob and the Saggots, correct? <laughs> yeah, we were called Bob and the Saggots. We played in like uh, Connecticut and uh, New York and down by Philadelphia. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I just love the the fact that like so I, I'm from Southern California and you know that was the hotbed of ska and every. Uh, best ska name you could possibly imagine existed um, in Southern California. So I always get excited when I hear other pockets of the country had band names that were you know equally as awesome as the you know whatever <laughs> whether it's like Mephiscopheles or you know Bob and the Saggots is perfect. Like there's no way that you can name your band like that and not be a ska band. You know that's totally true. <laughs> that's totally true. Oh man. But yeah, so, those funny days. We just smoked a lots and lots of weed and played reggae. If we didn't smoke so much weed, we wouldn't have been a ska band. That's what probably uh, <laughs> is true. The main, but, the main uh, influence. <laughs> yeah, that was the main influence. Was like this. If we if we if uh, we could have got drunk, we probably you know we would have been like an oi band or something. <laughs> but uh, you know, you can't buy beer when you're not 21, but you can buy tons of weed. So hey, right. Um, it's, yeah, those were, are really fun times. Were your uh, what kind of kid did you find yourself being like in high school? I'm, I'm guessing that that's when independent music started to show itself to you, and you started to you know discover more bands. Like, what was your um, just because you're the oldest sibling? What was your entry point to that sort of stuff? Uh, yeah, I, I guess I started listening to whatever aggressive music was on the radio. I remember really liking Corn, uh, which was really popular at the time. And um, some of the new metal was starting to come out, so that was like really, you know, that was made me really excited. And then somebody gave a friend of mine um, a copy of Outcome the Wolves by Rancid, and it was like a, a kind of a, an, open, an eye-opening thing. Oh, well, actually, sorry, I just skipped over Green Day and Blink-22. That was all on the radio, and then I was like, oh, this is punk, this is cool. You know, you'd see um, their videos on MTV at nighttime, and you just like sit there and wait to see it, or somebody would order... Uh, like a collection of Green Day videos from the record store, and we'd all sit around and watch it. And that was definitely started to influence it. And I remember I, I got a job as a dishwasher when I was fourteen, and uh, one of the people who worked there, she was like uh, an old punk, an old punk lady, and she gave me a copy of Plastic Surgery Disasters by the Dead Kennedys. Um, so that was kind of like, a, oh, there's a whole subculture of this stuff that we didn't, you know, I didn't wasn't exposed to it before. And that was uh, that was kind of the jumping point. That's amazing. I always love those anecdotal stories of the, a person that is you know such a transactional period of most people's lives. Whether it's like you know someone you work with at a you know video store or whatever, just like hands you something that's just like. Oh yeah, like you know, they probably thought about it for two seconds, and then this was like set your life off in a whole different path. Oh, totally. Yeah, she probably just saw it in the door of her car and was like, "Oh, that kid's working out of here. Check this out." You know, like that's it's so fleeting, but uh, such a important and uh, pivotal point. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Especially when you're that. I also like the context. I'm, I'm really glad that you mentioned such a, a wide array of artists because I do think there's something that's so charming about that time of you getting into music because you don't have a context for anything. You know, you're not like. You know, what you what we were joking about earlier in regards to like oh if it's mainstream it sucks i can't listen to it like you're just listening to everything and you have no idea that this band is like you know part of the uh san francisco punk scene or this band came from you know bakersfield california you don't know you're just like this it's music's rad oh totally nothing's pigeonholed everything's still pure it's like uh and i think once in a while i'll run into people uh at our shows and stuff that i think still live that way as an adult somehow they just never they just don't give a, you know, they're not into the identifying themselves by the specific subgenre of the music they listen to. You know, it's like a, it's really kind of a, a beautiful thing. I think it's really 
yeah, especially at that age, it's really um, important, you know, to just kind of not important, but it is, you know, like you said, it's really interesting and wonderful that that uh, kind of exists at that time. I mean, kind of wish I could get that back. <laughs> right. <laughs> totally. It, it is. I I find it interesting too, just because that uh, that time is also you are you i mean you have nothing but time so the the sort of research that you put into it um yields so many interesting results where it's like you know you may uh you know get into like third or fourth rate copies of a band and you you're you're like just as into them as the uh, you know the quote-unquote original of it and you're just like dude i gotta get more stuff that sounds exactly like this Oh yeah, that for me that was Operation Ivy. I mean, that record came out in, like 1989. I was three years old, right. but uh, when I got it, I got hands on it because um, we used to order. Oh, we used to order from Lookout. They used to have a like a paper uh, catalog that somebody got um, in South Scranton. I remember one of those kids had it, and we all like pitched in money and ordered shit. Then we get in uh, Operation Ivy, and that was the perfect time because right at that age, your mind's starting to expand a little bit. And I started to realize, like, oh, you know, there's all these political things going on. It doesn't seem fair the way a lot of people in the world are being treated. And Operation Ivy put it into a simple context enough for, you know, for me. So it was like, holy shit, not only is this great music, but this is, like, religious. You know, this is, like, uh, something, uh, a good placement morally in the world. You know, it's kind of like the, the kicker that happened with them. And I think that that really, and it was so old, but at the time it was so relevant to me. I needed to find everything like it. Yeah, that's a really good point. I like that idea where a, a band needs to be, you know, digestible enough for a younger brain to wrap their head around something that, um, you know, it, these issues that we deal with, you know, politically, socially, have so many gray areas. But a lot of the times, when you're that young, you need to have it packaged up. Like, you know, propaganda is a perfect vehicle for being like, hey, you know, eating animals is wrong. Like, here's all of these. Like, there's there's no black or white about it, and like you can pick and choose. The things that are you're passionate about only because it's packaged up that way yeah exactly and i'm not like a, i don't want to make a dig at like the you know the intellectual uh weight of uh some of those some of the more straightforward black and white political songs by those bands but it's a definitely you definitely needed that it was like uh that's the only place that it existed i mean i lived in scranton there was no there was no meeting of you know there was no like um I wasn't in college yet. I was in high school. I wasn't really exposed to alternative political ideas. You know, it was just uh, straight working class Democrats, you know, or Republicans. It was just like, you know, kinda, yeah, it's just that's yeah, it right. And you're, the, the subculture that you got injected into, it's like that's that's where you're you're getting your uh, your worldview is opened up, and not just like you know the the ten blocks that surround you. Oh, totally. I think that's a weird thing for your self esteem as well because you feel like um, even though it may not be. Uh, a wholesome thing but you feel like you've got one up on everybody because you've found something that is no one else has you know it's like you're the uh in you're in on the inside joke you know it's like, or not inside joke but like you're in on the club because you uh are exposed to the righteous things and everybody else is wrong you know right everyone else is in the dark man you saw the light you <laughs> exactly yeah dude everybody needs to fucking wake up man totally you're, all, you're just a bunch of sheeple <laughs> yeah just a whole bunch of sheeple <laughs> And so the uh, I'm going to presume that the Bob and the Sackets, like you said, was your your first touring experience and playing outside of uh, you know your local scene. Uh, did you immediately take to the touring experience, or was that something that you kind of had to you know learn to like over time? Uh, we I loved it immediately. We have, we were in high school, so we didn't do much overnight touring. We kind of just uh, might stay at somebody's house outside of Philly or uh, somewhere in upstate New York or something, and then come back the next day. Um, but yeah, I loved it. Just the idea that we were out 
on our own doing whatever we wanted. I mean, we were really stupid about it. There, we played this thing called the Connecticut Ska Festival or oh, wow. something like that. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember what it was called. There was one that was called the Big Orange, maybe, which was pretty cool, but this wasn't it. This was a different one. And we had, oh, man, one of the guys in the band was dating this. So we were 18 or 19. He was dating like a 30-year-old woman. Um, so it was really funny. She would just buy his beer and we'd go get wasted at her house all the time while he's like teenagers. Totally. I guess it's kind of a little bit weird in retrospect, but at the time it made total sense. But she got us a keg. We were like, yeah, we're going to go to this festival. We're going to bring a keg with us. It'll be awesome. So he took it and we stuck it in between the passenger and driver's seat and put a jacket over it and then just like we're drinking the whole ride up. And we get there and it's like uh, not the vibe at all. It was like a, a helped put on by some of the band's parents. Uh, so there was a lot of like families there. It was not the the, the, the party vibe. Keg the right. Yeah, it was not a party vibe at all. Uh, but yeah, we continued to drink all day and then drove all the way home, which was very, very stupid. Right. Uh, but just like cutting across medians and all kinds of ridiculous shit like that. But that, you know, just those, that, that wild, um, unhinged kind of, um, exploration was, was definitely the, an immediate draw. I was so excited about that. Right. That the, the feeling that, that anything can happen. Yeah. Anything can happen. And you learn, you're just, you're, they, uh, there's that one saying, it's like, uh, you gotta travel a thousand miles is better than reading a hundred books or whatever, which I don't necessarily agree with, but I do think that you can go and, uh, when you see and experience other people, even in the United States, the different subtle cultural differences between, I don't know, the nomenclature, like people call things different things in different regions. It's, uh, all of it's really interesting and eye opening. And I think you start to, to put together and, and realize what everybody has in common. And then that kind of, you know, open, gets your, gives you a better perspective on humanity i think yeah absolutely i i, I agree and so the uh, like you mentioned you didn't have any uh, aspirations as far as education was concerned in regards to going like did you actually go to college at all or was that something that you just were trying to do to placate your parents for a little bit yeah uh, it was a combination of the two i really wanted uh, i mean i always loved learning i did really well in school and um it had always come relatively easy compared, like, you know, comparison to seem like what some of my friends had to go through in school. Uh, but when it came time to go to college, I was at that time, I was just wanted to tour. I didn't want to do anything else. So going to college was kind of like in my mind, it was kind of a waste of time. And I was going through some, I had some mental, uh, I guess you'd call them mental health issues at that time. Um, and just kind of wasn't, wasn't on track to learn. I didn't, I couldn't pick a mate. Well, I picked like four different majors in like two years. Um, just kept bouncing around and eventually got away from it. I got, uh, I went to Penn state, uh, one of the satellite campuses in Scranton for, um, two semesters and then went to community college of Philadelphia when I first moved to Philadelphia and then, uh, dropped, dropped out. But I went from physics to business to, uh, English. Um, and I was just kind of going to school to please other people. Right. And, right cost money yeah right <laughs> totally you're like and i'm just uh spending spend a lot of uh some of my money some of my parents money and uh yeah this is what i'm doing right now yeah when uh yeah. when you when you mentioned the the mental health issues like what were you was it was it depression was it uh anxiety i mean i know those are two uh <laughs> that are intertwined with one another um oh totally yeah so it was definitely a depression anxiety a general a sense of lostness and uh, uh or sorry um directionlessness mm-hmm uh, that just kind of culminated over a period of time and had a bit of a nervous breakdown when I was 20 and, uh, I spent some time in the hospital for a couple of days and then actually the dudes came to pick me up in the van, which was pretty, pretty great. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, it just, uh, kind of went on for a long time and then culminated in, uh, just like 
I don't know, losing losing my shit. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a, I was diagnosed with a, a adult ADHD, and I think that was also led to it because I meet they just they just threw a bunch of speed at me, so I immediately just started raging on that. That's still my favorite drug. I got to take it take it easy when when somebody has. <laughs> yeah, you're like I know I, I know I really like that. I need to see yeah. that. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I could keep saying, you know, I got some like, you know, you got on hand, like if you emergency sake, you know, you can't be sure. Can't be dry. But, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's definitely one of those drugs where if a doctor was like, Hey, I think that you can live a more fulfilling life if I prescribe this to you. I'd be like, no way. <laughs> I'm not going through that shit again. Right. But, uh, yeah. So there was that. And, you know, I, I, people have different feelings about, um, the mental health industry. I certainly shy away from a lot of the things. I think some of uh, the ways that people are treated and some of our preconceived notions about it are, are total bullshit. Not to like downplay anybody who has serious mental health issues, but a lot of people, I think, seek something that they used to get from church in mental health world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they just, you know, it's, a, it's more of a spiritual thing. That's a whole other whole world. But yeah, I, I don't necessarily know if I agree with that diagnosis of the adult ADHD at the time. I think they kind of just through that at me. I mean, how could you talk to somebody for 15 minutes and then diagnose them and come up with a treatment plan that involves, yeah, you know, narcotics. It's just pretty crazy. Um, but yeah, that stuff kind of spiraled out of control and everything went nuts and literally, and, uh, yeah. And then that was a big wake up to kind of start to get our life together. And we got plans to take the band more seriously and move to Philadelphia not long after that. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, so basic, you were able to, I, you know, rebound for lack of a better term and put all of your mental energy towards the fact that, Hey, this band, you know, is, is going, uh, we just need to take it more seriously. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I've got to say that my family were so incredibly supportive uh, and always have been in my life. So, but, you know, the fact that I was able to go home to a fan, like a bunch of people who helped take care of me was, uh, not something that a lot of people have. So it was really, that was the big thing. And they, they kind of like put it together. Like you, what, you can do this, but you can't do it. You know, there's only so many times you can play wherever in Scranton and you're not, you know, there's a whole music scene going on down in Philadelphia and a whole, you know, uh, there's a million bands. So, you know, you got to do something and kind of just went. Hello, excuse the interruption, but I have to tell you about this amazing service from a company called HelloFresh. So you like meals, right? You like to eat food then this service is exactly for you. Because what they do is they send healthy, amazing ingredients right to your doorstep. And you're able to cook meals in 35 minutes or less. And it's amazing. I've used the service. It's super, super great. So say you're super busy, which most of us are, or you have a large family, or you just want to learn how to cook better and more often. HelloFresh will provide all of these things for you with really, really healthy ingredients, and they can come to you three, four, or five times a week. Uh, they offer a classic box, a veggie box, a family box. It's unbelievable, and it makes cooking fun and easy. So each week, they create new delicious recipes with step-by-step instructions designed to take around 30 minutes from everyone from the most experienced chef to a person like myself who barely has any idea of how to cut vegetables. But... They source the freshest ingredients, and they measure to the exact quantities so there's no food waste. And they employ two full-time registered dietitians on staff who review each recipe to ensure it's nutritionally balanced. And all of this is delivered right to your doorstep in a very easy box to open, to understand, to see all of your food and be like, wow, this is great. So 
I've tried this. The veggie box is unbelievable. I've made a shepherd's pie before and like something that I never would have ever made in my entire life. I did it and I accomplished it and uh, you know, my family enjoyed it. And so for $35 off your first week of deliveries, visit HelloFresh.com and enter words, W-O-R-D-S, words, like, you know, 100 words or less, the podcast name. Please do that and you will get $35 off when you subscribe. So basically, like I said, it's like me taking you out to dinner. So just let me do that. HelloFresh.com and enter the code WORDS when you subscribe. So please check it out. You'll enjoy it. And uh, thank you later for that. All right. Back to my conversation with Tom from the Benzingers. Something I find interesting about, uh, you know, because so many people started to pay attention to, you know, in the late you know, aughts, whatever, late 2000s, whatever you want to call them. Yeah. So, so many people started to pay attention to, you know, the Wilkes Bar scene as far as, you know, Title Fight, Tiger's Jaw, a lot of those bands that started to exist. Um, and you guys were, you know, mentioned, but usually kind of on the outskirts of that, um, even though you played many shows with them, you're, you know, there's some of your closer friends from that perspective. Um, was it, was it weird watching something that, you know, you, I presume felt so attached to because you were playing shows and existing in the scene. Um, and not, not, I'm not attacking it from the angle of like, Oh, you guys were jealous that you're on the outside, but like, was it strange for you to kind of watch that scene all of a sudden get really, I guess, lifted up? Oh, of course. Yeah. It was, it was super wild. Uh, it was very exciting for everybody. We, um, so we played shows of title five years ago when they were very young. But I suppose we were really young as well. But like Tiger's Jaw, that brother was the original drummer. Uh, I mean, Greg played guitar in the band for a little bit. Like everybody's so interconnected from all those bands. Um, but when that first started to come up, we because it was kind of connected in our minds to the hardcore scene, which was something that we weren't that familiar with and uh, weren't that involved in. I think it had to do with the fact that in Scranton, hardcore kids and like you know, quote unquote, punk kids or whatever didn't get along that well, and there was like a lot of fights and shit and. We just kind of shot away from that whole Wilkes-Barre, Posse Numbers Fest kind of scene. Um, but when Title Fight started to, to get to explode, it was like, you know, that was so exciting. We were like, man, this is awesome. All these bands from the area are getting so much, um, you know, recognition. And I think that we had moved to Philadelphia at that point. So it was really awesome to see when they came through, uh, play those massive shows and, and that. And then we did, uh, well, I actually have the... The thing in front of me in 2011, we ended up going on tour of Title Fight and Touche Amore and another band from Wilkesbury called Dead End Path, and that was like a we got to see it all across the entire country firsthand, and it was just so mind blowing. Yeah, no, yeah, that's right. I remember that tour. That was definitely a, <laughs> with the exception of Touche, it was like a very, <laughs> a very you know a Pennsylvania centric tour. <laughs> Oh yeah, and half the kids like Title Fight were always notorious for piling a million kids in their van. It was they had like you know there was just, like four kids from Wilkesbury that they were like, what do you do on the tour and then just like do whatever you know, yeah. kind of just uh, hanging out totally. So yeah, it was this very Pennsylvania tour. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I always love those tours where you have you know you, you have your person doing merch and you know maybe uh, you have a person doing you know quote unquote tech work, but then you told yeah. you know there always usually is that one person that's just like, Oh yeah, they're the, they're the vibe lifter. They're the mood enhancer where it's like, yeah, they're the beer tech is what we always call them. So that's, uh, <laughs> Dude, that's a good one. I like that one Yeah, yeah. where, and it, it's so funny because you, you see that across bands that have that uh, sense of longevity where they're able to have, you know, one to two auxiliary people that basically help the band, you know, stay in a positive emotional state. Yeah, I mean, that's, we, we have some of the best, uh, our best friends are people that tour with us and our crew, our front house guy, Dave, uh, who now has a visa, so this is awesome, he can come to the States and tour this whenever he wants, he's from England, um, 
and our tour manager Scott and our uh, merch our merch guy Jesus. We could, everybody, all those guys are just become such good friends, and half the reason that we like to have them come with us is because they do that. You know, they they keep the mood and they keep everybody the going. And oftentimes, you know, like a big touring group of people, they say an army marches on its stomach, but it also definitely needs morale needs to be kept up, and that's awesome when you have positive people there yeah and some people come along and they just do that you know it's like friends i'll be like hey i'm gonna ride with you guys for a couple of days and we'll say yes immediately because they're just that great to be around totally yeah because all all the attention could be focused on that person because then you don't need to pay attention to each other because that's all you've been doing for the last you know 100 plus shows or whatever yeah exactly the last 10 years yeah. <laughs> totally which i think we lucked out as in a band because we're all still really good friends and every time we come home from tour uh a day or two goes by and then we're just like hey what are you doing tonight you know and then you just start hanging out again even though we're not on tour because that's who we hang out with when we get home it's kind of funny yeah that is, that is funny um so uh, in the earlier years of, of getting uh the men's eager started as far as you know playing out and um you know getting people to your shows and stuff like that um when did you feel like you actually had some you know momentum e- even if it's you know something super super small and tiny you know you could easily point to the fact like oh we had momentum once we signed epitaph and it's like that's obvious but um when did you feel personally like hey i think that people are identifying with this thing that we're doing I guess it would have to have been when people started showing up to shows that we played in uh, different basement venues and stuff in Philly that we didn't know that were singing along. So like an entire basement full of people would be breaking everything and singing along and like, you know, just being complete nuts. And, uh, we didn't know who they were. So it was kind of like, Oh man, people are, I don't, you know, they're either listening to the CDs that we had at the last show or they are listening online or whatever. So I think that was when we first realized how passionate someone that we didn't know was getting about it. And we are like, Oh man, we can really, if we can, you know, list this kind of response from somebody, this is maybe we're doing something right here. You know? Sure. Did you, uh, were you just working like random, uh, jobs that, uh, allowed you to tour as you guys were, you know, trying to build up your, uh, your, your, your touring experience? Oh yeah, I've had I've had every every job, you know, every job you can think of. Except I've never worked in an office, and I've never worked retail. Uh, I don't think I was ever back in the you know the super punk days clean enough to work a retail job. I don't think anybody would want me touching their their t shirts in any capacity. Right. But uh, I worked in the service industry and construction, and yeah, when I when I'm at that time I was either washing dishes at a place called the Warsaw or cooking or uh working at for a bar in west philly called the blarney stone where we did every job so I delivered food on bicycle uh cooked bar back uh did security like all every every job you can think of in that place which was great because they gave you a shift beer at the end of the shift and it was a actually a pitcher <laughs> the shift that's a shift beer yeah. <laughs> that's amazing yeah shift beer man they just filled up a pitcher with yangling gave it to you. <laughs> you're like uh, good night to work <laughs> Yeah, right. That the worst uh, job that we had, Joe and I had the job together, uh, was selling metal roofing and home improvement projects door to door. So we like a polo shirt, and nice pants. And this is like the very you know the explosion of the housing bubble. Nobody had any money to get their house fixed. But uh, Scott, or sorry, Joe and I walk around and just knock on the door and be like, "Hey, uh, you know, we're running a special on gutters this week." And then that job was just humiliating. Yeah, Hated that job. That does yeah, that does not sound pleasant at all. No, uh, I, I want to I want to pull on one thread that you mentioned a little bit earlier because I do think there is an interesting dichotomy in the way that you know the punk and hardcore scene kind of played with one another. You know there were yeah. there were scenes that um, you know both bands could. Uh, when I say both bands, I'm you know stereotypically speaking about a hardcore and punk band. Um, you know they could play together and you know there's no issues whatsoever. Um, but then there are 
uh, certain you know pockets of the country where it's like there's such a a thick dividing line um not intentionally but just kind of like oh yeah we're you know whatever youth crew hardcore and like you know they're like you know total you know gutter slash street punks or whatever um so like of course we wouldn't play together um but then there there was you know nuance especially in the scene of you know wilkes bar where it was like yeah there's a lot of that youth crew stuff happening and you know maybe there wasn't room for a, a lot of you know punkish type bands um but I, did you like when you said you didn't identify it did you feel like i guess intentionally ostracized or was it just like oh that's not our scene so we're not even gonna kind of like go for those shows i think it, yeah combination of the both um we kind of the, the scranton scene was centered around a couple of venues there was one that was called cafe del sol uh, which is the first one we started going to and that was a total 77 punk you know look uh, like a street punk kind of scene and that's what we were in um and we didn't we weren't really exposed that many hard that much hardcore like uh i guess the only I get minor fret and stuff would be the only thing that they want the crossover kind of shit. It's so funny that this is so pigeonholed because it's all, you know, you're making, um, aggressive music from a certain demographic about certain things. It's all, it's all the same. Essentially it's just kind of like a weird divide, like the youth crew stuff and, and all that. But, uh, yeah, they used to come and people would just fight. So they'd be like, Oh, well those kids from Oaksbury here, they're going to fight in the parking lot. Let's go. Everybody let's go watch, you know? And it was just like, <laughs> Uh, almost like a, a 1950s gang movie, you know, it's just whatever divide. And then it always, uh, someone would fight over a relationship or get beat up. And some of our friends got beat up by some of the Wilkesbury people. So we just kind of thought, you know, they didn't want us around or we weren't welcome. Or, you know. Yeah. Steer clear from it. Yeah. I go away. Like, and they're all bigger and they're all tougher and they're all straight edge. So they're like in better shape. You know, like, oh. <laughs> deal with that man <laughs> no totally we the uh the you know the, the scene that i come from is definitely you know more aligned with the hardcore scene i myself am straight edge but uh-huh. we always had a, a very you know fun spirited game of dodgeball not at shows but like you know maybe on like a sunday afternoon we had straight edge versus drunks as far as <laughs> and it, it was always hilarious because it's like b- people on both sides took it so goddamn seriously because it was like oh dude if like if straight edge wins like of course we win because you know we're sober and they're you know drunks and they you know had, had drank too much the night before or whatever and then if, yeah you know then if the drunks win they're just like of course you losers like you guys we know how to have fun so we're losing. <laughs> but it's just yeah oh, that's great man yeah that's a and that's a fun spirit not uh fighting at shows you know oh uh, yeah totally <laughs> different story there was yeah there was one thing that kind of united a bunch of the people and that was these people these fucking nazis started showing up when we were like what year was that it was probably like 2000 and seven maybe this uh, a skinhead group called the keystone state skinheads from like the middle of pennsylvania in the woods somewhere and just started showing up in multi-track and uh, nobody liked them so <laughs> it was good it was kind of like a uh, uh something that everybody can really relate to and, and and back in the sense that nobody wanted them around yeah. So, yeah well that that is good like when you are able to uh you know target a common enemy when you're just like wait a minute like our way of life is being threatened by these people who neither of us agree with so they need to be pushed out so let's let's work together yeah totally it's like and the, that and then it's yeah. like the, it's like the avengers right <laughs> yeah yeah totally <laughs> uh but yeah, that, there's that. And also, you know, I probably am, in retrospect, kind of romanticizing or dramatic, at least dramatizing the whole divide. I mean, everybody hung out with everybody. I hung out with the, some of the um, hardcore kids in Scranton that, like, introduced me to Gorilla Biscuits and, you know, be straight edge. And, uh, you know, it's fun to hang out with them. It doesn't, you don't know, have to get fucked up every day. Yeah. But. 
Yeah. So. Well, no, I mean, that's good that you, you're able to, not everything is, like you said, is this, this dividing line. It's like, yeah, they're, you know, the one or two bad apples ruin it for the whole bunch where it's like these people that are, you know, cru- you know, taking up a crusade against who shouldn't be coming to shows. And it's like, yeah, yeah. not everybody feels that way. <laughs> so I think they saw SLC Punk too many times and kind of like, uh, <laughs> Saw the tri- like the, the whole tribalism aspect that they have in that movie. Just took that seriously and kind of was like, well, that's the way it is, man. Yep, totally. <clears throat> and it's so funny, too, because, like, the, uh, you know, w- w- we talk about this, you know, existing in a scene, whatever, you know, seven to eight years ago, if not a little bit longer. And it's funny because I think, you know, most people can survey the landscape right now. And, um, you know, there isn't that much divisiveness at shows, you know. It's like people people listen to everything now you know people can listen to you know the menzingers and katie perry and no one's batting an eye oh yeah no one bit i think that could be part of the uh, the togetherness of uh social media like you can kind of the way that people interact with each other is you know changed a whole lot and it doesn't it's not so tribalistic you know i think uh some of those i'm sure that those adolescent insecurities will always exist but i think a lot of the reasons that people attach themselves to different uh, groups that identified by, I don't know, bands or clothing or whatever back then did it because you kind of, you know, you didn't choose a side, you didn't really know, have a way of connecting to a, or creating a, a strong social um, bond, especially because everybody's already in an outcast-ish kind of vibe because they got into punk rock in the first place, I guess. But um, yeah, I think a lot of that's disappeared and a lot of people are kind of just like, you know, do do whatever. Right. <laughs> so, you know, no matter what, you can find your crew, whatever that means. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It can be like, I've got some friends that are into the weirdest shit randomly. They'll be like, yeah, I'm on this, you know, this internet subreddit for one of them recently. I'm, I'm, loves mechanical keyboards. And I was like, like, what do you mean mechanical keyboard? You know how you, the old school keyboards that click when you type them? There's a whole like subgenre of people that are just really into that. And I was like, wow, man, you can find friends from wherever. He was going to like meet up with them at a bar. I was like, all right, that's <laughs> totally all right. You know, cool. That's that's awesome. Bring people together from all weird, all kinds of walks of life. I know. To that to that point, I find it so interesting when <clears throat> you know many people that I- exist in the world, you know, don't have things that they're extremely passionate about. You know, and I find that so, especially in today's you know culture where it's like you know you mentioned something as niche as mechanical keyboards and it's like yeah. it's like you can't find anything you care about and people are like well yeah i like books and it's like well that's cool but like what books you're like oh like all of them it's like, what? <laughs> I, I don't even know where to begin like you know just pick pick something you know pick something you care yeah, about just get yeah just get just have a little passion you know luke can't be lukewarm that's no it's yeah yeah totally uh, uh, either I guess that, that justifies it. Either hate something a lot or like it. You know, kind of, very good. At least point. hopefully like it. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Uh, a few last things I want to hit on before I let you go was um, you know you, you mentioned earlier in regards to you know uh, people uh, casting dispersions on you guys you know for selling out in regards to you know your record sounding more polished as you grow older and you know you actually become good at your instruments. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I definitely remember the time when you know it was announced that you guys were signing the Epitaph, and uh, at that time there was a lot of mixed feelings about uh, what Epitaph was in regards to like okay you have the bands that you know kind of maintain the sort of uh, ethos and aesthetic of what epitaph has always stood for and then you had other bands that were you know clearly part of a, a different era of epitaph and you know, it was all kind of co-mingling with one another um you know did i'm sure there was a lot of very deliberate discussions on your guys's end whether or not this was a uh, good move for you guys or did you generally just like well we don't care like this is this is the right move for us 
You, you know, as as like kind of I guess not really scummy it sounds, but it's totally true. So I say we we spent more time talking about how it would be perceived than we did uh, caring about it because we you know Epitaph was a dream label for us. All those bands, uh, the Punkaramas were what introduced me to so many bands. And uh, we got to go out there and meet Brett Gerwitz, and he, uh, it was pretty crazy. We just hung out all day and smoked cigars, and he told us all these crazy old stories from uh, all these like, awesome war stories from the beginnings of Epitaph, and it was incredible. We were sold immediately. We were like, oh, yeah, fuck yeah, we're going to sign Epitaph. But we were worried about how it would be perceived because they got some garbage bands. You know, There was like, some, some bands on there that were just awful. Right. And... Um, yeah, so we, you know, and it wasn't much of a discussion. It was kind of like, well, is everybody going to call us sellouts? And then, you know, kind of 10 minutes later, he's like, well, who cares what anybody says about us? You know, um, we're definitely going to do it. And we definitely, I'm, I'm really glad we did do it. And we, and, and sometimes it's in the music industry, conversations do come up uh, where we're like, well, how do we feel about this? Somebody, maybe recently we were offered a huge amount of money to do, to play a show that we, uh, uh, knew that the person putting the show on wasn't going to make that money back. I don't know if they were being naive or like what it was. And we we're like, well, we can't just like, you know, is it wrong to take the money and run? You know, what's the deal? Like, well, how do we feel about this? And uh, how's it going to be for our future? We ended up not going for it, but it was a lengthy discussion. Cause like if we, we do this for a living and I think that if um, anybody for the, the earliest and most simple levels of the sellout argument where people are like, Oh, I can't believe they do that. It's like, well, you go to work every day. And if you think that your boss doesn't benefit economically from paying you uh, that amount, then you're wrong. Like you're not, you're working for somebody else's dream. Not all the time, but uh, you know, in, in an economic sense, it's kind of like, well, you, how are you going to call somebody a sellout when you work at like, you know, I don't know, a defense contractor or like a, you know, even a fast food restaurant or something. Um, but yeah, it's like, uh, it, it's difficult to, to make some of those decisions. And I don't know. It's, uh, it, it's like, a, it's, there's no, set blueprint that we've been able to follow or no set like uh, written mission statement that can just we could default every moral decision to you know it's really it's pretty wild yeah it, it's it, I mean it's very um it's weirdly instinctual. It's one of those things where it's like you, I, this is a horrible analogy and I apologize for it in advance, just, but it's like, it's like pornography. You can look like when you see it, like, you know, it's pornography. Like there's no, yeah. there, there's no differentiating it. So it's like that internal instinct that a band kind of develops. It's like, you're like you said, you needed one day to hang out with Brett and be like, yo, this is the right move. And no one else is going to have that experience. So all they're going to do is pile on whatever their own personal experiences are for it. And you guys can't, you know, you can't control that. Like that's, that's not your. Yeah, exactly. I think that was a great analogy. That's one of my favorite. I think it was, uh, one of the Supreme court justices on one of the, uh, obscenity cases. That was what it was in his decision. He said, uh, I don't know. That's what uh, I know. See it. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's really funny. That's good. That's good. I'm glad you you take it and use it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) If there's two, if there's two morals, this conversation start calling, start calling the people that come to your shows zinger, zinger heads, and yeah. Like that, yeah. That's a little close. I don't know, man. It's getting close to the racial epithet from the Vietnam War. You know, <laughs> like a, a zinger heads. That's a little. That's true. That's uh, true. That's probably yeah. That's probably uh, not very racially sensitive. And I apologize. <laughs> I, was, I was not. I was not coming at it from a place of uh, anywhere but being absolutely ridiculous with your band name. Right. <laughs> Hell yeah. The um, 
And so, were there any other, uh, I, I guess, uh, labels that approached you guys in regards to you know working together, and that you guys were just like, oh, like I mean, because you know, there is always that hunger from a major label perspective for bands that are left of center that are sort of melodic and you know can maybe be, yeah. the, be the quote unquote next Nirvana or whatever. Um, did you guys ever have any you know interesting <laughs> discussions or conversations with people in that realm? You know, I wish I had a great story about getting taken out for drinks by somebody from a major label, and we were just like, "Yeah, we took their money, fuck them." But I don't. There's no, there was no uh, major labels at the time that uh, wanted to, you know, put out a record or anything. Some of the other bigger independent ones uh, had talked to us and, and thought that it could be a, a good idea. But uh, we we lucked out. The guy, uh, this guy John, who works at Epitaph, who does uh, publishing for them, he's his desk was behind Brett's desk. They have like a. I don't even know how you would call it. It's set up. Um, there's like open desks kind of platform at Epitaph. There's like a couple different sections and then there'll be, you know, a couple rows of desks. And the top one is where like Brett sits and John sat and uh, Brett's uh, assistant Sue and um, a bunch of the other people. And he sat behind Brett and would play our record all the time. So he was just like hearing it. And one day, I guess, you know, eventually he was like, who are those guys? Let's check them out. And then, yeah, and we actually worked, we spoke about Tim uh, uh, before, Tim, our manager, and he, they had a pre-existing relationship with Epitaph, so kind of like opened the door and, you know, made it a lot easier for us to sign to them. Yeah, no, that's, that's really, really cool. Yeah. Um, and so now, you know, now that you're, you're, like you mentioned earlier, you know, your parents have accepted the idea that you are a touring musician. <laughs> this is actually a, a, a sustainable uh, you know, albeit meager, but sustainable way of living yeah. your life. Um, you know, when did, uh, when did you feel like they were, or maybe this is still something forthcoming, but like that they were, you know, proud of you that they like looked at what you were doing with some sort of like, Oh wow. Like Tom, Tom did this thing. Like whether it was like, you know, going to a show at union transfer or whatever, like was there a moment that you realized like, Oh, my parents actually back what I'm doing. I think, uh, you know, they, they always backed it in the sense that they knew that that's what I wanted to do. So they wouldn't be like, this is stupid. They were not spiteful. They were not uh, immature. In fact, they were always just looking out for what they thought my best interests were. And I, I totally get that. And that's great. Um, I, if, if the moment would probably be when I started to tour and be like, yeah, well, you, you know, where are you this week? I'm like, Oh, I'm in California. And they're like, what? Oh, wow. That's great. You know, I kind of, um, when that started to become apparent that I could travel sustainably and uh, not uh, hit them up every six months and be like, hey, can I borrow like 200 bucks? I'm really short this month, you know, right. which I, I didn't do too much of. But uh, when I was in the, when we first moved to Philadelphia, you know, definitely do that all the time. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, when I first, I think that they, you know, really started to get proud when uh, they could see that how serious I was and how much work. Uh, we they realized how much work we were putting in. I think they thought that the idea was that we could play music so that we could slack off. When in uh, reality, it's so much work. So I was like, um, <laughs> that's, yeah. no, that's the, that. Honestly, that's a very interesting point because I do think that you know most people's notion of a band exists in the you know rock star world of you know buses and plane flights and all that stuff. And uh, yeah, the it, once parents get a peek behind the curtain of like. Oh, like you're folding your shirts to like pack up for tour, like in regards to the merchandise, and it's like, yeah. oh, like oh, you want me to help with that? Like, what do you? What do you oh, oh, okay. I guess this is different than what you know. I guess being in a band is. 
Yeah, they're like, what do you mean you're doing taxes and uh, trying to figure out, you know, different approaches to minimize your expenses and, you know, practice for, for several hours a day. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely don't get that. We still, some people though, they really just want to, they want you to live that so bad that you kind of just let them think you do. Especially a lot of like uh, middle-aged trade worker guys, you know, like, uh, mechanics and stuff that will run into and be like oh dude so you guys there's gotta be girls everywhere it's gotta be so awesome and we're just like yeah man you know it's real cool well they know we're just kind of you know sitting in a hotel room watching like pawn stars and then uh you know driving for eight hours and playing you know in Amarillo, texas or whatever right yeah you're like real you're like real glamorous like we got to we got to order Domino's tonight uh which is probably, yeah. which is probably the same things as you guys are doing yeah exactly but you always gotta let them you know let them think it so that they uh because it just makes their life easier to live. You know, that's what they, totally. they want to do. <laughs> that, that, this just occurred to me, because I'm sure you guys have a, st- uh, a standard answer for when people ask you your band name in those certain instances where, you know, whatever, you're getting an oil change or you're at Denny's or whatever, and they're like, oh, you, like, you're a band. Uh, do you guys have a uh, fun, fake band name that you go to? Or do you Oh, my God. Ask- Our tour manager, Scott, without fail, every single time they were somewhere... Tells people we are uh, shit. Uh, it, it's usually a different band that's just becoming popular in the alternative world. Like, uh, okay, like I think he was telling people Twenty One Pilots a couple years ago. <laughs> uh, you know, just shit like that. Always. Oh, one time though, when we were crossing the Canadian border, uh, they were convinced that our friend Nick, who comes out and texts with us sometimes, was um, uh, the guy from the Black Keys, and they like took a picture with him and everything. It was uh, yeah, it's really funny. <laughs> so definitely just kind of make stuff up. Unless people seem genuinely interested. Right. Um, also, we don't have the easiest to pronounce uh, or you know sense making band names, so it's kind of like uh, pain in the ass to sell our actual band names. So it's like, uh, <laughs> totally, just fuck with. It's like the the science of it is like you you have to name a band that you know clearly isn't on TV. Like you know you could joke around where it's like oh yeah Metallica, and it's like everybody knows what Metallica looks like. So of course you have yeah. to you have to find that next level down where it's just like you know you're like oh Lincoln Park like ah we probably can't say that because some people may know that they have like a DJ and like you know they'll probably be like oh take out your tables or something. Yeah, totally. Or they'll be you know that might be like oh my daughter loves you guys so you know that'll be like can you you know like can you wait here which is gonna come over or something like that <laughs> uh so you gotta pick a band that they'll look up and be like wow that's uh that's random yeah totally. That, i can't believe i met that band and then they'll yeah right it's pretty funny um, and so the last thing I want to hit on was the kind of what we were talking about earlier in regards to, um, you know, how uh, people that we, we kind of envy the idea that, you know, people can kind of just like listen to music for music's sake and have no context for, you know, music scenes or whatever. Um, but you know, be, because you've existed in, um, you know, different spheres of, uh, the independent music scene from, you know, ska, punk, hardcore, everything that you've kind of, you know, immersed yourself with, um, you know, how, beyond the fact that you, you know, play in a band and you're engaged in the independent scene, like how do you uh, kind of actively stay engaged to the fact that you still care about, you know, independent music? Uh, so my, uh, my, my, my girlfriend actually is an editor of, a, um, um, she's one of the editors of a Philadelphia music magazine. So I constantly get exposed to all other genres and other people in the area and we'll go to shows and check out all this kind of weird stuff. Like I've been to, um, you know, hip hop shows and indie shows and things like that. And it's a, a lot more, uh, fun and eye opening to kind of be and exist in those other realms. Um, yeah, it's definitely a, a great way to stay engaged and, 
there's also, I guess, uh, at this point, the four of us kind of started listening to maybe different things. And we, uh, we always used to just listen to the same shit because we'd put it on the, on the van, uh, on in the van, but we spent so much time off of tour this last few years that, uh, we kind of, you know, we show each other new bands and new music and kind of drift in those places. And yeah, it's, uh, it's been probably most interesting though. I got, I would want to say is that I'm starting to go back and listen to a lot of the music that I didn't listen to because I, you know, I'd pigeonholed it as something else. Um, there's so many decades of recorded music out now, uh, you know, in the things like uh, Spotify, it's not difficult to, to kind of find them. In fact, you have the opposite problem. There's too much to look at. You can't decide what to listen to. But, um, yeah, I think that going back and seeing, uh, some of the older bands has been a way to kind of completely open up my eyes to different, different music. Yeah. I'm going to put you on the spot cause I find it interesting of the, uh, you know, what, what did you have, uh, you know, preconceived notions towards that you ended up actually really enjoying? Um, oh man, I've got to, there's gotta be some, uh, something that i thought of that i didn't like oh bands like in excess some of those 80s bands i just kind of thought they were goofy you know whatever but they've got some great great tunes man in excess has a song called don't change that i heard for the first time recently and it is so good such a jam dude yeah and nxs was actually my first concert experience before michael hutchins obviously killed himself um so yeah i was like 1987 or 88 and i just remember like i'm not a dancing sort of guy um you know even when i was younger but i just remember like my dad saying like all you were doing was just standing in the aisle dancing and it was it was one of those things where it's like (laughs) there's no way that i can ever look at nxs and be not like you know they're unbelievable anybody that does thinks otherwise it's like dude you haven't actually listened to the record like kick is yeah totally kick is unbelievable oh so good Uh, yeah I, i totally that's uh um yeah, I completely thought that that's how that was. You have these like little preconceived notions about bands, just just by I don't know the type of people that wear their t shirt. You just be like, I'm not gonna listen to that fucking band. That guy sucks. Uh, you know, like dude, for uh, sure. Yeah, <laughs> then, then you find yourself listening. And it's like, wow, this is awesome. Right, I love I love that because it, it it definitely is uh, really steep with an independent music culture because people are so precious about the bands that they like, and so they feel. Uh, you know, such a sense of ownership over them. So they feel that, you know, by default, if someone who they consider, you know, quote unquote lame is wearing something, you're like, oh, dude, I'll probably hate that. And it's like, yeah, I, I, I was very much the same way with like so much indie rock stuff where I'm like, oh, dude, Neutral Milk Hotel, like probably dog shit. And then like, oh, my to God, it. that band specifically, I was like when the, uh, I maybe heard one song when I was younger, but everybody, all of my friends who like all the people I knew who loved that band religiously were just such douchebags. I put it off forever checking them out. And it's one of my favorite records of all time now. Yeah, it's like. <laughs> It's like, God damn it. I know. But fortunately it, it this day and age, like you're really never late to the game. You know, you'll you'll just be like, Well, I just really like that record now and then, you know, hopefully they do some reunion shows and like, oh, lo and behold <laughs> <laughs> Lo and behold it's gonna yeah, there it is. Yeah. Exactly. Well, Tom, I really appreciate you hanging out with this, uh, with this, with me <laughs> over Skype. <laughs> and I uh, yeah, I hope I hope this was uh this was uh, painless for you. Oh, it's fantastic. Thanks so much for having me. All right, that was Tom, huh? Pretty cool. And uh, yeah, like I said, his band is great, so you should get on board and be listening to his entire band's catalog, and especially his new record, After the Party, out on Epitaph Records, right? That's my promotional pitch right there. (laughs) Uh, But thank you very much for 
his manager, Tim, who's an old friend of mine and who helped hook this up. And then Tom for being uh, oh so accommodating in our scheduling. So, uh, yeah, thank you very much for uh, all of those people involved in this. And uh, next week is a in-person conversation that I had with a friend who I was going to say old friend, uh, but he's not old in the sense of he's old age wise. <laughs> But he's not old as far as I've known him for a long time. But we became pretty quick friends just via mutual friends. And uh, once we started to get to know each other, it was like, oh, man, we should have been friends for a lot longer period of time. Ian Miller, he plays in a band called Kowloon Walled City, also plays in a band called Less Art with a ton of other awesome people like uh, Riley from Thrice and uh, Mike Minnick from Curl Up and Die, both previous guests of the show. And, um, yeah, so we had a nice conversation at his house, and we talked about a ton of cool stuff. So that's uh, what's happening next week. And, um, yeah, that's all I got. So please be safe, everybody. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.